Let's now go to God's Word. Kindly open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. If I could invite you to please stand in honor of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to to your word, and the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for this Christmas season, and we know, of course, that we celebrate it in a much deeper way, and we appreciate it more because you, our Heavenly Father, gave your one and only Son to be born in this world and to be born so that he would die as a sacrificial lamb and he rose again and he is coming back again. Truly, this is a merry season, a happy, joyful season. And we pray indeed, Lord God, that as we celebrate, we would keep the main thing, the main thing, and it is your son, Jesus And we pray that as your word is preached, we would appreciate all the more Jesus. And we would also learn from the example of Mary. We thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may take your seats. So it's Christmas once again, and there's going to be a lot of shopping, a lot of long vacations, parties, reunions, gifts. Uh, There would be a lot of Christmas lights and decorations and a lot of lechon. Lechon will be everywhere. And as enjoyable as these are, we know, of course, that the real reason why we celebrate Christmas is because of Jesus. And that's why I like uh, Hosanna, our Christmas concert. And I'd like to congratulate everyone who was part of this concert and you really went all out. I mean, with with the lights and the live band and the choir and the actors, you really went all out. But the important element in that concert is the message. Amen? It's the message where Abraham and Adam and David have sinned and failed. Jesus succeeded. And the whole point of the story of Abraham, David, and Isaiah is really the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And we're going to a text and we're going to explore one of the scenes in that production where it was based. 
And the text that we read is the Annunciation, the announcement of the angel Gabriel to Mary, telling Mary that you're going to have a son and you're going to call his name Jesus. And Mary submitted to God's promises, submitted to God's power. And maybe right now you're saying, I know that story that is very familiar, that's too cliche. And uh, this is a go-to text actually for uh, Christmas messages. And a lot of you are probably saying, okay, I know the story already, maybe I can sleep. I'm not going to give you permission to sleep today, okay? Now, I have uh, asked our TV ministry to zoom in and focus everyone who will be sleeping, and we will show them here up on the screen, okay? Now, we're not going to do that, but we're going to listen to God's Word, amen? We're going to honor God's Word. We're not going to sleep, amen? So tell your seatmate, don't sleep. Honor God's word. And at the end of the sermon, I pray that we will indeed appreciate all the more who our Jesus is and also learn from the example of Mary how she is a true disciple, a true follower, how she submitted to the promises and the power of God in the mission that God has given to her. And you know what? Every one of us has a mission. Everyone has a calling, and we need to trust God's promises and God's power as we do our mission. We are to submit, not neglect, not ignore, not reject, but submit to the mission of God for your life. And let's also take advantage of the Christmas season. This is a good time for us to be sharing our faith and sharing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take advantage and declare who Jesus is. So let's submit to the mission of God in our lives. And the first thing that we need to note are the promises of God. In verses 26 to 33, we would learn the example of Mary. And hopefully we too would submit to the promises of God. Again, we read, Verses 26 to 28. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. So we're, giving, we're given the setting of uh, the story, and it's in the sixth month. What's the sixth month? It's the sixth month of the pregnancy of Elizabeth. And there was announcement, an announcement given to an angel, uh, by an angel to Zechariah. And Zechariah is a priest. He's in the, in the temple doing his priestly duties. And he saw this angel, and the angel announced to him that he will have a son and he will call his son John. And we know him right now as John the Baptist. And so the wife of Zechariah is Elizabeth, and now it's in the sixth month. She's now in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And now we're taken out from the center of Jerusalem, the center of Israel, the center of their life and culture, which is the temple, and we're now placed in a remote area up north in Galilee in a little unimpressive town named Nazareth. And here, another announcement was given. There's another promised child, and now this announcement is given to Mary. So Nazareth, the hometown of Joseph and Mary, this is where Jesus grew up. And it was a treat for me to be able to go to Israel and I could just not uh, put it into words, the experience that I had. This is my dream destination. I was like a little kid, you know, uh, in, in Disneyland. And I was just really enjoying and, and really taking it all in, that beautiful, wonderful experience. And we were there at Nazareth. 
And we were in a place called Nazareth Village. And it's an authentic reconstruction of a farm and, and houses and buildings of the first century. It, it, it was with much research, the materials that was used and the method that was used to construct the buildings and the houses, it was authentic. And so when we were there, it was like we traveled back in time. More than 2,000 years ago, and there we were in Nazareth, trying to imagine the life and time of Jesus. And with the excavations done in Nazareth, they concluded that it is a small agricultural settlement. Just a small agricultural settlement it is poor, insignificant, unimpressive. And that's why you could understand Nathaniel in John chapter 1 asking, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of a poor, unimpressive, insignificant town or city? And maybe we're asking, why did Jesus grow up here? Why did Jesus not grow up in Jerusalem? A prominent city, the capital of Israel. Why did Jesus not grow up there? Why Nazareth? Well, actually, this is consistent with the predictions of the Messiah. In the great messianic chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 53, it lays out perfectly what we should expect of the Messiah. And it's given to us how the Messiah would look like, how he would live how he would be despised, rejected, how he would be killed, but how also he would be buried and rise again. The picture is so clear of what the Messiah is, and you could really see it is Jesus. It is Jesus who is the Messiah of God and the Messiah of the Jews. And the Gentiles, he is the anointed one of God, the chosen one of God. It's so clear that um, Christians even call Isaiah the fifth gospel. You know, there's the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke, the gospel according to John. And there's this fifth gospel, the gospel according to Isaiah. And they call it the fifth gospel because it's so clear. This is talking about Jesus. It is crystal clear. And that's the reason why in a lot of synagogues, the Jews banned the reading of Isaiah 53. Now let me read you a portion of that in Isaiah 53 verses 2 to 3. For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Why did Jesus grow up in Nazareth? Because he would be despised and rejected. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So the angel Gabriel was sent to Nazareth and verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now a lot of people explain betrothed to mean that Mary and Joseph, they are engaged. They are engaged. But actually, a, a better translation for this is pledged. Pledge as married. They are already, Mary and Joseph are already married at this time. How long is the gap in our culture, in our day? How long is the gap when, you know, you sign the contract and then the honeymoon? How long is the gap? Just a few hours, right? Just a few hours. In the time of Jesus, it's very different. The gap is significant. So first of all, you would have the signing of the contract. 
And what happens is that the couple are legal, legally married at that time. There is an exchange of a bridal price. But after that, they would go home. They would go back home. They're legally married, but they would go back home. And they would wait for several months to a year. And after a year, they would come back. They would have their wedding celebration and then the honeymoon. And then they could live together under one roof. That is the time and culture of Jesus, of the Jews. So right now, take note. Mary and Joseph are already married. That's why in Matthew chapter 1, Joseph calls Mary his wife, not fiancé, his wife. And that's why also Joseph, when he saw the baby bump, and he was thinking to himself, what's this? You know, we're, we're married already. That's why he resolved to divorce Mary. You don't dis divorce your fiancé, right? You divorce your wife. They are already married at this time. And Joseph was from the house of David. And again, this is very important because the Messiah should be from the line descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. It's not like any Filipino like, you know, me. I, I want to be the Messiah. I want to be the Messiah for the world. No, we cannot claim that. And even that person in Davao, he cannot claim that. He's a Filipino. You have to be a descendant of Abraham. You have to be from the tribe of Judah. You have have to be from the line of David. Very specific. Very specific. And Jesus qualifies as our Messiah. And He is indeed our true Messiah. And sometimes we watch movies and uh, movies portray Jesus and He looks American or He looks European. And so some people are shocked. Jesus is a Jew? I thought he's an American or a European. I thought he was white. He's a Middle Eastern Jew. Yes, Jesus is a Jew. And that's intentional, the present tense. I did not say Jesus was a Jew. Jesus is a Jew and forever will be a Jew, forever a descendant of Abraham, forever from the tribe of Judah, forever from the line of David because He is the true Messiah. We don't need to wait for another Messiah. The Messiah has come. Jesus is the true Messiah. Verse 28, And He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. Now listen, listen to this. This is very important. This phrase, O favored one, Maybe you're more familiar with uh, uh, this version. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. And that's taken from this text. And sadly, this is a mistranslation. Hail or greetings, full of grace. That word, that phrase, full of grace, is a mistranslation of Jerome of the 4th century. It's in the uh, official version of the Catholic Church. And they translated it as full of grace. This is a tragic mistranslation of the Greek, kerakito menei. Now, I'm going to be a very uh, technical here, but this is important. That Greek word is a perfect passive participle. If you don't remember that, just remember this. It is passive. It is a passive word. Say passive. Now, why is this important? Well, would you rather be nikaon kog baboy or gikaon kog baboy? Would you rather be active or passive in that case? Nikaon is active, okay? I ate the pig. I'm the one doing the action. I ate the pig. Gikaon, passive. The pig ate me. 
You're the one receiving the action. There's, there's a big difference between the passive and the active. What would you rather be? In this case, you want to be the active. You want the one eating the pig. You don't want the pig eating you. But in our text, the Greek word is passive. Why is that important? Mary is not full of grace as if Mary is actively dispensing grace. Mary is actively giving grace as if Mary is the source and giver of grace. That's why it's wrong to give titles to Mary like she is the co-mediator, the holy queen of heaven, the mother of mercy. There is no biblical basis that we can get from Mary, help and deliverance and grace and mercy and favor. There is no biblical basis. In John chapter 1, it is Jesus who is full of grace. He is the one who is the source and the giver of grace, not Mary. Mary does not possess attributes that belong to Jesus, to God alone. Mary is just a recipient of God's grace. She received favor from the Lord and she received a great privilege and blessing. Now this is a very sensitive topic, I know. And uh, sometimes we Protestant evangelicals, we could be carried away with this and we become Mary bashers. Again, this is sensitive, especially to a Marian devotee. Don't bash the person of Mary. We, we're not to, to uh, dishonor the person of Mary. We are to honor even Mary and Mary's faith, just like we, we honor Abraham, just like we honor David, just like we honor Isaiah. She received a unique calling of becoming the earthly mother of Jesus. Nobody else in history was chosen for that privilege only Mary was given that privilege and Mary even is a proof that Jesus is truly human Jesus not only truly God he's truly human as well and what's the proof Jesus had a human mother so let's honor Mary but let's also correct the false teachings let us correct the false doctrines about Mary but when you share the gospel to a Roman Catholic, do not mention Mary. Just, just don't mention Mary. Don't mention what I just said. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. Just focus on Jesus. If, for example, you're trying to share the gospel and, and your friend, your office mate asks you, but what about Mary? What, what do you think about Mary? You could just simply respond, well, I know the Catholics... Uh, teaching on Mary, but let's not talk about Mary right now. Let's talk about Mary's son. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's focus on Jesus. Before you even begin to talk about Mary, because this is a very sensitive topic for them, a lot of them would just shut down if you would just, you know, reveal all these false teachings. Just focus first and foremost to the essentials of the gospel. Before you even begin to talk about Mary, labor hard in letting that person understand how holy our God is. Before you talk about Mary, labor hard explaining how sinful we are and how we cannot save ourselves and how Jesus alone can save us. Labor hard on explaining what faith is and what repentance is. And that is our response to the good news turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ, labor hard in the essentials, essentials of the gospel, then maybe you could later on talk about Mary. But you know what? Sometimes all you need is to just focus on Jesus, focus on the essentials of the, gospels, of the gospel, and you don't even need to mention Mary. If that person accepts Jesus as Lord and Savior and that person is already reading the Bible, it is clear. It is clear that Jesus is full of grace and not Mary. So back to our story. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Nazareth and greeted her by saying, Greetings, O favored one, one who has received grace, one who has received 
favor from the Lord. And the promise is given, the Lord is with you. And this is not just an ordinary greeting. This is used in the Old Testament and given to people that are chosen for a specific role and a major role in the history of salvation. And Mary was included in that. And it was given the assurance, the Lord is with you. Mary, you're chosen for this very special purpose, but you're not alone. The Lord is with you, and He's going to supply all necessary spiritual resources, protection, and guidance. And it's a great comfort for us that while we do the mission of God, while we preach the gospel and make disciples, we are not alone. That God is with us. That He will supply all things necessary for spiritual guidance and protection and grace and empowering upon us. That's why we depend on God and not on ourselves. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. So Mary was troubled. She was unsure. What is this greeting? And then she was comforted. The angel said, do not be afraid. And why should I not be afraid? For you have found favor with God. And again, that is uh, the point that I was trying to make. That Mary found favor. Mary had a privilege and a grace given to her. 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. We know, of course, that the ultimate fulfillment of this is Jesus from the line of David, and he will reign and he will rule. He is on his throne and he will reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever and ever without any end. And this is a promise actually given to David. David, a man after God's own heart, desired, you know, God, I'm living in a palace, very beautiful. I see you living in a tent. I want to make a temple, a house for you. But God responded, well, thank you for that, but you're a man of blood. You're a man of war. And so um, that's not going to be fulfilled in you, but it's going to be fulfilled in your son. And the partial fulfillment indeed is Solomon. He built a temple for God. But there is a wonderful promise in 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 14. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And we know again this is Jesus Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment to the promises of God to David. And now the promise is given to Mary. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. But there are many skeptics who say, okay, he's reigning. Where? Where is he reigning? I, I don't see him reigning. He's on his throne. You say, okay, let me see him sitting, ruling, reigning on his throne. Where is your Messiah? Where is your Savior? Now, just hold on to that for now, and we will answer that at the end of the sermon. But that is a very important point that we need to consider. So Mary was given this big mission for God to save the world. God was also going to use Mary in the process. And as we continue in our story, we see that Mary not only submitted to the promises of God, she submitted to the power of God. And that's the same for us. We are to submit to God's promises. We're not to doubt God's promises. We are to submit He is trustworthy. And we are to submit to the power of God. 
we are not to doubt his ability or power. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, this is the third time now that this word is mentioned, and it highlights the difficulty. How can a virgin conceive? Is it scientifically possible or impossible for a virgin to conceive? Possible or daily? Is it possible? It is not possible. It is impossible. And that is what Mary felt. Like, how can this happen? How can this happen? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. That's the comfort that was given to Mary. And it's also stated there that Elizabeth is a relative of Mary. She's in her sixth month already. And um, if you read in chapter 1, you would note that Elizabeth is from the daughters of Aaron. And the husband of uh, Elizabeth is Zechariah. He's a priest. He's from the tribe of Levi. So Mary is from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe of Levi, from the line of the priests. And so Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. I'm sorry, Joseph is from the line of David, from the kingly line of David. And then Mary, Mary is from the tribe of Levi from the priestly tribe. And so now we could infer that Jesus is very much qualified to be our, our king and our great high priest. Amen? He is our king and our great high priest. But Elizabeth was barren. She was old, and yet she conceived a son. And the answer is given, for nothing is impossible with God. You see, when the angel appeared to Zechariah, and Zechariah could not believe, like, I'm, I'm going to have a son. I'm very old. My wife is very old. And not only that, she is barren. You know, th this could not happen. And that's why he was mute. He was unable to speak. He was only able to speak after nine months. But Zechariah should have believed on the power of God. He should have remembered what God had displayed in Abraham's life. In Sarah's life, Abraham was how old? 100 years old when he had a child. Sarah was 90 years old. And yet nothing is impossible with God. I attended uh, just last week the dedication of baby Zaya, uh, the baby of Kuya Edwin and at the April and they were just testifying on the Lord's goodness and the Lord's power, how even in their old age, God had given them a child. And it's so refreshing to see that even up until today and forevermore, God is the same. And God continues to perform the impossible. It is impossible for Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a son, and yet nothing is impossible with God. It is impossible for Abraham and Sarah to have a child, and yet nothing is impossible with God. And if you think that is impossible, that is difficult, God will perform a bigger miracle, a more impossible feat. He would let a virgin conceive. A virgin. And it is through, not by human effort, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Sp Spirit would come upon Mary and the power of the Most High will overshadow her and she will have a son. And it is, this is to fulfill Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God is faithful. What he promised, he will do. He is trustworthy. And what he has promised from Abraham's time to David's time to Isaiah's time has been fulfilled in Jesus. There are about 300 plus prophecies concerning the Messiah. 100 of them, 100 plus of them have been fulfilled at the birth. At the birth alone, 100 of the 300 plus prophecies concerning the Messiah were fulfilled. God is faithful and God is powerful. He performed a mighty miracle. A virgin conceived, bearing a son, and he will also protect the, the, the child from our sinful nature. God will perform a unique creative act. Through his power, the child will be holy, the son of God. And some would believe that for Jesus to be holy, then uh, Mary needs to be holy. Mary needs to be sinless. It's just like, you know, when you want a, a clean drink of water, you need a clean container. And so their thinking is that, okay, Mary needs to be a clean container. She needs to be sinless so that Jesus will be sinless and not affected by our sinful nature. And they even declare this as an official doctrine, infallible doctrine, the Immaculate Conception, that Mary was sinless or that she was conceived without a sinful nature. But Mary is not perfect. Mary is not immaculate. Mary is a sinner just like you and me. And don't take, don't take my word for it. Take the very words of Mary. And she said in Luke 1, 46 to 47, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God. My what? Savior in God. My Savior. You don't need a Savior if you're immaculate. You don't need a Savior if you're perfect. You don't need a Savior if you're sinless, if you think you are good enough. But if you know that you are a sinner and that you know that you need forgiveness and that you need righteousness to enter the holy presence of God, then you need a Savior. Until you come to that point of acknowledging your need, acknowledging that I'm a, a sinner, that I'm my, my thoughts, they are corrupted by sin. My, my speech, my emotions, my hands, my feet, my body, everything I am, everything I do is corrupted by sin. Unless you realize how holy God is, you would not need a Savior. If you would think that you could save yourself by your good works, you don't need Jesus. You don't need the cross. You don't need the resurrection. But if you know and you humble yourself in repentance and acknowledge, God, I am a sinner. I have offended you. I'm not perfect. I'm nowhere near perfect. I'm not a good person. I am not righteous. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need the righteousness of Christ. Only then, if you come to that point, will you be saved. You don't need a Savior if you're sinless. But if you're a sinner, you need a Savior. Do not come out of this place acknowledging your need of a Savior. And Mary does not have to be sinless so that uh, Jesus will be sinless. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the focus here. It is the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is able to overshadow Mary to make her absolutely to make it absolutely certain that Jesus is sinless immaculate completely holy and Jesus was born not by human achievement but by the power the holy power creative sacred work of the spirit 
And here we have the response of Mary. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, let's not take this lightly. Sometimes, you know, we, we get over-familiar with the text and, and we read it and we're over-familiar with it. Okay, Mary submitted. We know the story. We celebrate Christmas. We just watch Hosanna and all that. I know this. But don't, don't take this lightly. You need to understand that Mary could have used her age as an excuse and just turned down the mission that God had given him. She's only 13. She's about 13 or 15 years old at this time. There were no such thing as teenager. It's a modern development. Before, it was just childhood and adulthood. You know, you're a child, you grow up, you become an adult. Nothing in between. And so Mary is just 13 and 15 years old, and she, she could have used her age as an excuse. God, I'm too young for this. I'm just going to have to turn down the mission. Mary could have used her marital status as an excuse and turned down the mission that God had given her. Again, Mary is legally married to Joseph right now. How will Joseph react? When Mary would explain, Joseph, I know that you could notice a baby bump, but don't worry, Joseph. Don't be afraid, Joseph. I did not cheat on you. I am still sexually pure. I am a virgin. What I have, Joseph, is from the Holy Spirit. I am pure. How would you react if you were Joseph? I think kung bisaya si Joseph, Joseph would say, Istoriai. <laughs> oh, yeah, what you have is from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. Oh, wow, you did not cheat on me. You're faithful. You're sexually pure. Yeah, I believe that. Of course, it's the Holy Spirit. Mary could have used her legal status as a married person and say, God, I'm, I'm married. I'm legally married. What, what would Joseph say? How would he react? Mary could have used the safety of her own life as an excuse and her reputation. What would Nazareth think? The town, the city, you know, seeing Mary, you know, having, signing a contract, you're married now, and then they see a baby bump. Oh, she cheated. Oh, what, what she, she has is, gitawag na to, anak sa gawas. Child born out of wedlock. And you know what? That has been a reputation that has stayed with Mary. And we read about in the gospel in John, the Pharisees, one of their accusations to Jesus, Jesus, you, you tell all these things to us, but you know what? We're not born out of sexual immorality. We're not like you, na anak sagawas. So that reputation stayed. And Jesus was accused, you're, you're born out of wedlock, born out of sexual immorality. Mary could have just used that as an excuse, Lord, th this might be too much for me to bear and for my family to bear. She could face public disgrace and shame. Her family could disown her. And worst of all, Mary could be stoned to death. In the Old Testament law, if you commit adultery, you are liable to being stoned to death. And Mary could have just said, Lord, I I'm afraid of my life. I don't know if I could do this. I'm just going to turn this down, kindly look for another person. She could have used the safety of her own life as an excuse. She could have used her virginity as another excuse and turned down the mission that God had given her and just say, this is just so spectacular. This is just so impossible. This will not happen. I don't believe that I will conceive. 
I'm a virgin. This cannot happen. No one before me, no one after me experienced this miracle. Why should I believe it? Why should I believe that a virgin could conceive a son? These are excuses that Mary could have given to God, could have said to God, but against all odds, Mary surrendered completely. She surrendered completely to the promises of God, believing the promises of God instead of doubting the promises of God. And she submitted to the power of God, believing that God is able, that God is all-powerful. And she submitted. And yes, Mary was troubled. Mary was afraid. Mary was unsure at first. But she surrendered her fears. She surrendered her anxieties. She surrendered her troubles at the feet of God. That is a mark of a true disciple. And that's why Mary said, I am a servant of the Lord. And that servant there is doulos, slave. I don't tell God what to do. I, I don't boss God. He's not my genie. God is my master. God is my Lord. I am a servant. I am a slave, a slave of my good God. And shows, she said, let it be to me according to your word. And what an amazing faith. There's absolutely nothing for Mary, you know, to prepare her for this kind of a mission. No preparation, no training for this kind of a mission. And Mary has no credentials. Mary does not have a, a great resume. All she had was willingness and availability. Willingness and availability. Let me ask you, after Mary could have said all these excuses but surrendered to God, let me ask you, what's your excuse? What's your excuse for not being who God calls you to be? What's your excuse for not doing what God calls you to do? Maybe you say, you know, maybe I'm too young, maybe I'm, I'm too old. Am, are you afraid of, you know, a public disgrace or persecution? Do you think your life would be placed in great danger or death if you follow God's mission? Do you think you're hopeless? Like, I'm just a great sinner. I'm in bondage with drugs or alcohol. There's just no way for God to use me. What's your excuse? Now, compare your excuse with the multiple excuses that Mary could have given. And yet, Mary did not excuse herself. She surrendered and submitted and she did what God called her to do what's your excuse yes Mary again was troubled afraid and maybe you too right now you're, you're troubled you're afraid there's anxieties there are uncertainties that you have and so you feel it and you're asking right now what do I do with them I'm troubled I'm fearful. What do I do with my fears and my troubles and anxieties? Do what Mary did. Surrender them at the feet of God. Exchange your excuses with the promises of God. Exchange your fears with the confidence and belief in the power of God against all odds. Completely surrender to God. Trusting in His promises, trusting in His power. If God has called you to full-time ministry, will you trust God's promises and God's power? Will you be like a Mary? If God has called you, maybe not as a full-time pastor or a full-time missionary, but as a full-time Christian, amen? Full-time Christian. Okay, part-time, part-time lang, no? Part-time, part-time Christian. 
part-time Christian, you know, just a Christian on Sunday, but during work, oh, an unbeliever, a pagan. Are we a part-time Christian? How about a full-time Christian? A full-time Christian in your school? A full-time Christian in your workplace? A full-time Christian in your home? Will you trust the promises of God and the power of God? Will you be totally submitted to Him in evangelism, in discipleship, in service? God is trustworthy. And He has proven it time and time again. 300 prophecies concerning the Messiah. 100 done, fulfilled at the birth alone. Will you trust His promises, especially the promises concerning Jesus and will you trust his power and acknowledge yes it is humanly impossible but nothing nothing is impossible with God amen it was a great experience to be in Israel and just had a wonderful time just could not explain it put it into words it's life transforming life changing but at the same time my heart was grieved i saw a lot of jews still not accepting jesus as their messiah they still do not accept yeshua as their hamashiach messiah yeshua jesus is not their messiah and do you know that there are 15 million Jews in the world 15 million Jews scattered all over the world Do you know how many of them have surrendered their lives to Jesus completely totally less than 2% less than 2% of the Jews acknowledge Jesus as their Messiah they, they think Jesus is just a rabbi not even a prophet not even a prophet sent by God. He's just a teacher, and he's misleading a lot of people. They don't believe that Jesus is God. He's just a human being. Don't make him God. He's not a God. And they think that Jesus is just an ambitious imposter who claimed to be Messiah, but he failed. He failed badly because their expectations of a Messiah is this, that when their Messiah would come, the Messiah would defeat the enemies of Israel. He would gather the Jews and he would have perfect peace and justice in the world. And they would ask you, where's the peace that your Messiah brings? Oh, he's reigning. Where's his throne? Can I see his throne? Oh, he's reigning over Jacob and Israel? Well, you know what? Not a lot of Jews believe in him. And you say he's the Messiah? Where's the worldwide peace? Why is there still war? Your Messiah is a fraud. And they don't believe in the second coming. And even in Jesus' day, in Jesus' time, some people would ask, you know, God, I'm going to believe if you would just come and, and appear and tell people you would exist. Then I would believe in you. They don't realize that God did come down. Jesus came down. And yet, a lot of people rejected him. A lot did not believe. Even at his day and time, he was rejected and he was despised. And their expectations of Jesus, that's why a lot of people were following him. Crowds were following him because they believed that Jesus will kill the Romans and dethrone the Roman Empire. But what did we see? The Messiah did not kill the Romans. The Romans killed Jesus. How can this be the Messiah? I thought that he would defeat the enemies of Israel. And Jesus is hang on a tree? Do you know in the Old Testament, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree? How can he be the Messiah? the anointed one of God, and be cursed by God. That person is cursed. That is not the Messiah. They did not realize that Jesus will reign 
as king over Israel and over all the world. And he will come back to bring peace and justice in the world. But the first time he, he came, he did not come as a political king. He came as a great high priest. He came as a sacrificial lamb for our sins. That's why Jesus said in Luke 19.10, which is a key verse in Luke, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came. Praise God. Amen. Merry Christmas. He came. But He did not come to establish a political kingdom. Not now. He came to seek. And to save the lost by dying. Israel needs to realize that they have a bigger enemy than the Roman Empire or Iran. And you and I have a bigger enemy than wars or whatever. Cancer, poverty, whatever. We have a bigger enemy. And the enemies of our souls are sin, Satan, and death. And at the cross and resurrection, Jesus has decisively defeated sin, Satan, and death. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. This is my mission to die for the sins of the world. I am the Lamb of God. I offered myself as a blameless, sinless sacrifice, perfect, once and for all. And I did what I came here to do, and I died and I rose again, and I tell my people, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back again. <laughs> Jesus is the Messiah. Don't look for another one. The question is, is he your personal Messiah? Is he your personal Lord and Savior? If you turn from sin and turn to Jesus, you will indeed be saved. And when he, come back, when he comes back, you will reign with him instead of having the judgment that comes by his return. Jesus is the Messiah, amen? Yeshua HaMashiach. Let Jesus be your Lord, your Savior, your Messiah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, even with a familiar passage, we could still encounter you, we could still know you more, we could still appreciate Jesus more, and we could learn from the example of Mary. And I pray, Lord God, for whatever excuses or fears that we have right now, Lord God, may we exchange our excuses with your promises. May we exchange, Lord God, our fears and troubles with a confidence and belief in your power. May we lay down our sins, our idols, our excuses, everything completely unto you in total obedience and surrender. You are God and we are your slaves. And we pray indeed, Lord God, that you would raise up in this church pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and even full-time Christians, Lord, who would be totally obedient and faithful to you in the workplace, in school, wherever they are, shining their light, sharing the gospel, sharing about Jesus as the Messiah. Lord, I even pray that you would display your mighty empowering upon living word and upon the living word outreaches. And I even pray right now for all those who are here and they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I pray that you would cause them to be born from above, be born again, that they would turn from sin and trust in Jesus alone as their Savior, Messiah, Lord, treasure, they're all. Even pray, Lord God, for the many Jews 
who are up until today denying Jesus as their Messiah. And we pray indeed, Lord God, that before Jesus would return, many would get the opportunity to hear the gospel and many would be saved. Oh God, I pray, save Israel. Save Cebu. Save the Philippines. Save the unreached. Save all those who are lost. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Now.